We're going to be in chapter 5 this morning. Always need to come out and uh, fellowship with you guys. I've been here a few times, even before I taught uh, when Pastor Manny uh, was taking the fellowship through the affiliation process, I was uh, played a role in that uh, with Calvary Chapel Outreach Fellowship. So I'd come and just visit here a few times and just hearing Manny's teaching and the, seeing the fellowship here. So it's neat to see what the Lord's doing and how the church and fellowship is growing and uh, just definitely see the Lord in there. So it's, it's neat. And Manny's a really neat brother. It's always great to see him. Uh, he teaches at our Bible college as well. Anybody taking classes there by chance? A few of you in there? Okay, good. Um, so I know uh, he's brought a lot of the church down there, so they're uh, enjoying it. And I enjoy his teaching. So let's have a word of prayer, and then we will um, get into the word. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your goodness. And Lord, we need you. We need you, Lord. Even if we don't think we need you, we do need you, God. In every part of our lives, this morning we need you. And Lord, you love every person in here so much, God. And there's something you want to share with each of us. And Lord, everybody in here has a different need, and I don't know what it is, but you know. You know what it is, Lord. You know more than they do. So Lord, just prepare our hearts as you already have through worship and the time we've already spent here, um, or continue to have your way among us as we, I just pray, submit to you, yield to your spirit. And Lord, just take your word now and reveal it to us and apply it to our lives individually. Fill me with your spirit that you would be teaching here today, again, bringing glory to your name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to look at three things briefly this morning. Uh, to be wise, to be filled, and to be strong. Now, if I were to ask you, you know, who would like to be wise or a fool? You know, not too many people would say, I'd rather be a fool than wise. Many times we act like a fool and don't know it, or intentionally act like a fool, but we don't. Uh, we don't uh, wouldn't wouldn't choose to live our lifestyle that way. Same thing with being filled. Biblically, we're filled with something. Filled kind of means to be under the control of something, and we're always under the control of something. But if I were to say, what would you like to be under the control of all the time? The spirit of God or something else? Some some weak substitute out there, even including yourself, your own will, you know, alcohol, whatever. I think we would all choose, and I think especially always the first service, you get the people that are more serious about just, I'm going to get up early, I'm going to be there, I'm going to serve the Lord. Um, you know, sleep's not a problem or whatever, but um, you want to be filled under the control of the Holy Spirit. No doubt if I were to ask you, not that we always are, but I think we would want to make that choice. Yeah, I want to be under His control. Because we know for those of you, of you that have how much easier life is. Not that your circumstances are better or anything, but life is just easier when you're under the power of the Holy Spirit. You have access to his wisdom, his gifts, all these wonderful things to get through the same situations. And you realize life isn't about what you go through, it's how you go through it. You know, we, we can get through many things in life but when we get through in our own strength. Many times we come through bitter or hard or weird. But when we get through it by the power of the Spirit, we grow from it. We're broken. We're gentler. We're, we're more conformed to the image of Christ. And so, sure, we all want to be under the influence of of the Holy Spirit. And then, you know, who wants to be weak? You know, raise your hand, you know. Now, we want to be strong, right? Just what are we strong in? Uh, strong in the Lord and the power of His might. So we're going to look briefly at these three commands, really, in the book of Ephesians and different aspects of what it looks like to be wise, what it looks like to be filled, and what it looks like to be strong. And so um, we start in, in chapter 5, verse 18. But before we go there, I want to look at a quick overview of the book of Ephesians. This is going to kind of help us pick up where we're, uh, we'll leave off where we're picking up here. Uh, by the way, all, th all three of these, they're not optional. You know, they're commanded. And the great thing is that when God commands us to do something, he enables us to do that. It's always accessible. It's always our option now. We have the, the ability always to be wise in the sense that we're going to talk about this morning, to be filled with his spirit and to be strong in the Lord. And so that's a great promise because many times we find ourselves not in that place. But the great thing is it's not a long road back. There's not hoops to jump through. It's just a matter of at that moment choosing to be those things in the Lord. 
So we know in the book of Ephesians that the first three chapters, it's divided into two sections, the first three chapters and the last three chapters. The first three really deal with who we are in the Lord in principle. And the last three deal with practically as a result of who we are in the Lord, how we should live. A lot of people try and go right to these scriptures that deal with how to live without understanding why we're that way or what God has done. And it becomes burdensome. But when you understand the first three chapters of the Lord, uh, of Ephesians and who we are in the Lord, you come to the conclusion, wow, I want to, as it says in chapter 4, verse 1, have a walk worthy of the calling with which I've been called. Now that you understand it, it becomes a joy and a pleasure to seek to serve the Lord and do the things that he says to do in the latter four chapters. Chapter 1 really shows us the work of the Trinity in our salvation, its implications in the past, the present, and the future, what the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are. It's a great illustration. Ephesus was a great commercial uh, city, a port city, and a lot of industry passed through their commerce. And so it paints this picture of the Father walking through the marketplace choosing the product, you know, the son purchasing it and the Holy Spirit packaging it up and sealing it off and sending it to heaven. And so as the father of the son and the Holy Spirit, the father picks us, the Holy Spirit, or the son purchases us with his blood and the Holy Spirit seals us uh, with an unbreakable seal, sending us off to heaven. And so um, that's chapter one. Chapter two gets into, it's really I call it the chapter of reconciliation. The first part deals with how God has reconciled us to him in our relationship with him. And then the latter part is how he's reconciled uh, humankind, uh, man with man, uh, fellow believers with one another through Jesus Christ. Anything, he takes the most volatile relationship in the church at the time, Jew and Gentile, and he says he tears down the middle wall of separation. And there's a whole history behind that, but on the Temple Mount there was a wall that Gentiles couldn't go beyond. And uh, he references that, saying, no, no more distinction, we're all one in Jesus Christ. And so uh, whatever division we have here on earth, uh, it's usually that veil of flesh, you know, our self-will that is what's causing division. But if we're all submitted to the Spirit, there's only one Spirit, so there's unity in that. And he goes into chapter 4 and speaks a little bit more practically what that looks like. Chapter 3 gets into the mystery of the church and its purpose. Chapter 4 is that great transition. After all these things, you know, he, he exhorts them to have a walk worthy of the, of the first three chapters of the calling uh, in, of Jesus Christ. And it's really highlighted by two things, unity and purity. Chapter 4 is there's a unity in the body of Christ because of Jesus. We're saved to be part of a body. That's, that's what so many people miss out that don't come to church, that don't participate in the local body. You know, I have my own relationship with the Lord. Yeah, that's true, but God didn't save you to be on your own. It's very clear through Scripture. He saved you to be a part of a body. You have a part in that body. When you're missing, the body is hurting a bit, and you hurt a lot, you know. Uh, if I cut off my finger, you know, my body's going to miss that finger, but it'll still go on. But it won't be all that it could be. But that finger is the one that's really going to be hurting. You know, uh, really the, the immediate decay is going to start happening. No, a matter of time before all the, the cells in there die. And that's kind of how it is when we disconnect ourselves from the local body. God designed us to be a part of one another. It's, it kind of goes against our culture, especially in Southern California. You know, very independent. We take care of ourselves. We don't want to burden people with our problems. It's, it's up to me to take care of that. But no, the, the Lord, you know, a lot of things I do need to go to the Lord on. I do need, need to take care of. But he's also put me in a body of believers that will, are intended to love one another, encourage one another, uh, minister to one another, and apply the word in their lives and walk with each other through life. And so if you're missing out on that, you might be sitting here today but not connected with the body. Uh, you're missing out. You know, there's a lot of ministry that God wants to do through you uh, and to you through that. And then chapter 5. Uh, he continues with his exhortation to imitate our heavenly father. Father, in verse one, uh, we are if good children imitate their parents, and so whatever role models you had on earth when you received Jesus, you have an awesome role model, uh, the best person that ever lived, and the coolest person that ever was. Uh, in the universe is your heavenly father. And so we begin to start imitating. And he highlights two aspects of the heavenly father. He's love and he's light. And so as good children, we should be imitating that in our lives. We should be naturally now, as we're reborn from above, uh, we should be light and love. Naturally, in, in a sense, 
Because we also know, and we're going to be looking at that as well, that although I'm saved, the Spirit has filled me, I still have my old nature. And left to itself, if I stop feeding my spirit and, and fellowshipping with God, I'll naturally deviate towards that old carnal nature of mine. Uh, but I want to spend time with my Heavenly Father and start, again, taking on His attributes of love and light. Uh, chapter 5 goes on in verses 13 through 15 to exhort us to walk as children of light. And as children of light, we should uh, walk, be wise and not fools. And that takes us to where we're starting this morning. Um, it gives four attributes, really, of what a wise person looks, looks like here in Ephesians. And so they walk circumspectly. They redeem the time. They understand the will of the Lord, and they're filled with the Spirit. And I want to just take a few moments to go over each of those and what it looks like uh, to be a wise person as opposed to a fool. So in verse 18, or I'm sorry, in verse 15, it says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as a fool, but as wise. Again, at the end of being a child of light. If you're a child of light, a child of light lives this way. You're wise and you're not a fool. And so the scripture, when it uses the term walk, it's referring to how we conduct ourselves, how we live. I'm sure you know that. And there's something to that analogy, that figure of speech, that, you know, we don't hop through life. You know, uh, many people do that. We hop in, this, in the spirit, our relationship with the Lord. We spend the morning with him. Oh, man, this is a great time. I'm connected with the Lord. Then I get in my car and go to work, and I tune the Lord out. I start getting caught up with the busyness of the day. And then I maybe at lunchtime, maybe I take another time, and I get plugged back in. Oh, yes, Lord, I'm in the Spirit. I'm filled with Him. And then I disconnect and get back into wheeling and dealing and doing my day's business, uh, ignoring the Lord and not thinking of Him. That's kind of a sketchy walk. That's, That's like if I was hopping. You don't get too far hopping, you know. Try hopping home after you leave here. You know, you're going to get exhausted by the time you get to the street. But, you know, walking is a fluid, consistent forward motion. And that's how it is supposed to be with the Lord, a fluid, consistent, progressive motion. Uh, and so uh, we're to be in constant fellowship. Now, uh, I fail at that many times myself, but that, that's the place we need to be. It's just, man, I want to be in his presence. I'm going to be walking with the Lord. And so we walk circumspectly. The, the word used that many ways. Uh, in our relationship with him, we walk in the spirit, you know, and so forth. But we walk circumspectly. What circumspectly mean? It means to walk carefully or exactly. So we need to pay attention to how we conduct ourselves. The wise person pays attention to how they live their life, how they conduct themselves. And so living godly in in one sense doesn't come naturally. You know, when I'm filled with the spirit, it does. There's a, He is a certain way. And so when I'm Submitted to him, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. There's certain fruits and attributes that are come come out of my life, but as far as my carnal nature, it does not come naturally at all to walk uh, in a godly life. So the fool doesn't pay much attention to how they conduct themselves, but the wise person in the Lord does. They understand that how they conduct themselves both affects themselves and it also affects people around them, and therefore they need to pay attention to what they're doing what they're thinking, the places they go, and the things they do. It affects us personally, and the things that I do or the places I go, they, may, they affect the path of either putting me in the place of temptation or victory in my life. Uh, Romans thirteen fourteen says, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. We know we can put ourselves in places that stir up natural God-given desires within us. And there's, there's different ones. We have desires that God has given to us. And so I don't want to put myself in a place that's going to stir those things up, that's going to uh, intensify it, possibly cause me to stumble. I want to obey God. And sometimes we ignorantly place, I know when I first got saved, when I first got saved, I had uh, a drinking problem. I drank a lot. I did drugs. And when I got saved, the Lord took a lot of those things I was involved in away. Uh, I got every once in a while the temptation to drink. And if I wanted to, there were certain people I could call and just, hey, hey, I just want to hang out with them. Yeah, they're just friends. We're just going to go hang out. But I knew what they did, and I knew that it would open up the opportunity for me to fall in that area. And so I, that choice was mine. And sometimes I, I ignorantly, oh, yeah, what's the big deal? Oh, I'm going to go be a light to them. Yeah, I'm going to go share with them, be a witness. It's like, come on, don't deceive. Don't try and deceive. The only person you're deceiving is yourself. You know, everybody else sees right through that. Uh, you know the places you go. It says in Hebrews, 
12.13, make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather healed. We know where our weaknesses are. Don't, don't walk down a path that's going to re-injure a weak limb in your life. Uh, and so uh, we want to walk as carefully as we can. 1 Corinthians 6.12 says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And so we know that certain things uh, I'm free to do, uh, but they are not good for me. They hinder my walk with the Lord. They bring me under its bondage. You know, things like alcohol or whatever, you know, whatever justifications could be made. Oh, I'll just have a beer. You know, the scriptures just don't get drunk and this and that. Man, you're putting yourself in a dangerous place, something that's, that can be very addictive and ensnare yourself. And um, I have a whole case against even that. But, uh, you know, at its most, people abusing those, th- those types of uh, things to have liberty in certain areas, which we're going to talk about in a moment. But I want to I be careful of the things I do, the places I go, uh, because I know it can affect my walk and bring me into bondage. And so the second thing is it also affects other people, right? At any given time, I could either be a witness to others and helpful to them in their walk, or I can be confusing to them in their walk, and I could possibly tempt them and cause them to stumble. Uh, There's many scriptures on that. First Corinthians gets into that, how Paul says, you know, if meat causes my brother to stumble, talking about meat dedicated to idols and so forth, I'll never eat meat again. You know, and that attitude of Paul, I don't want to do anything that's going to confuse or bother anybody. And the whole basis for that is love. If you truly love somebody, you're going to be concerned with them. You know, a lot of people say, hey, I got got liberty in the Lord. You know, they'll go to Galatians 5.1. It talks about we have liberty in in Christ. And liberty is not a question. Yeah, we're free. Excuse me, we're free. There's many things that Scripture is clear about. You know, there's certain things you shouldn't do. But there's there's a liberty. I don't. In other words, God is saying you don't have to do anything to get saved. Christ paid the price. There's not a bunch of do's and don'ts you need to be saved. Liberty isn't the question. Maturity is. You know, it's how you use your liberty that's the question. That's really what Galatians chapter 5 talks about. Galatians 5.13. Let me just read it here. It says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. He's talking about people that were trying to in uh, Galatia, put a burden uh, of the law that you receive Christ, but that's not enough. You still have to adhere to the law. And he's combating that with this letter saying, no, you're, you're called to liberty. There's no law. It's not Christ plus anything. But then he goes on, only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. We all have liberty, but how you use your liberty really shows to everybody your maturity. You know, the, the one, the immature Christian will use their liberty on their, the indulgences of their flesh to satisfy themselves. And uh, you may be enjoying that or thinking you're getting away with something, but others are just looking at saying, that's an immature believer. That's a weak Christian. But when you choose to deny your liberty with, out of love for others about how it will affect their walk, how it might confuse or... Uh, hinder their walk or their the clarity of them receiving the gospel that's maturity that's when you start denying yourself out of love for god first and other people and so really liberty isn't the question as much as mere maturity and so i want to make sure one i don't put myself in a position that's going to cause me to stumble that's going to bring me under bondage and really when you think about it it's really a no-brainer when you look at the god of the universe died for me you know, he took all my sins away. He wants to fill me with his spirit. He's created works for me to walk in that I was created to do. These all apply to you as well, not just me because I'm behind the pulpit. I'm just like you, and all these promises are for you. I'm going to give an account before him one day. This life, in comparison to eternity, is a vapor. There's no time to lose. We're going to talk about that in a moment as well. But when I start understanding these things, man, why do I want to waste time? Why do I want to get caught up into anything that's going to hinder the short time I have here to serve God? Because what I do here is going to determine how I spend eternity. Why waste time? Why do anything that's going to hinder any fellowship? God went to such great lengths to give me fellowship with him. Why do I want to get caught up into anything that's going to hinder that fellowship? Let's just take it all out of the way and just have unhindered fellowship as much as possible with the Lord. And then when I start capturing that, look at my, my heavenly father. 
the love that he had. He sacrificed himself for other people. He didn't have to come and do what he did, but he loved us so much, he went to a cross to pay for our sins. If I'm one of his children, I start taking that heart on. And I start looking at others and, man, I don't want to hurt them. I don't want to confuse them. I don't want to do anything that's going to get in the way of their walk with the Lord. And so I start adopting that, okay, this thing, it's not, it's of no benefit to them. I'm free to do it. It doesn't maybe even bring me into bondage, but it's going to confuse them. You know, and that's where, you know, a lot of people use that illustration of drinking. Our senior pastor, Jeff, does all the time. You know, people, you know, he always uses the, the, I guess he used to do this before he got saved, but he goes, man, you know, you go into, uh, uh, go get some Mexican food and get a margarita. You know, I got to have my margarita with my Mexican food. I guess he always used to do that before he got saved. He doesn't drink anymore. Uh, but, uh, uh, he goes, but you do that, and then uh, you, you say, yeah, I, I could have one. I, I'm not an alcoholic. I don't have a problem with it. But then somebody from church walks in and sees you, and, boy, they, they, they've had a real struggle with alcohol their whole life, and they just got saved, or they've been maybe walking for a little bit, and now they see you having some alcohol. And even though it may, you may not be struggling with it, now you just cause them to struggle with it. Well, if they can do it, I, I could probably do it too. I could probably have a drink. And... You know, we use that example, and I, I think probably most of you are like, yeah, I, I wouldn't even, you know, I've forsaken that. I don't even want to dabble with that. Um, but the damage it might have in other people's lives. And so out of love, like, I'll sacrifice my margarita with my Mexican food. I'll sacrifice whatever. And you, if you really break it down, there's really, I, I don't know why I'm sticking on alcohol here, but there's really no excuse. People say, I need to unwind. I need to relax. Shouldn't Jesus be that for you? Shouldn't his Holy Spirit be the one to comfort you and bring you relaxation? If I have to go to something on earth uh, to, to fulfill a role of Christ, that should be a red flag in me of, man, I'm probably, I'm not accessing something that God has made available. I'm using a cheap substitute for the real deal. And so that should be a re- red flag in me of like, man, I need to get closer to the Lord. I need to be receiving that from him. So whatever it may be, uh, there's never an excuse for it. Next thing we see is the wise, they redeem the time. Going back to Ephesians here, chapter 5, verse 16. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. So the wise person, they redeem. Redeem means to buy up. There's two Greek words for time in the scriptures. One just means time in general in chronological order. The other one means opportunities, specific opportunities. And that's the one that's used here. We need to buy up the opportunities that God presents because the days are evil, it says. And so uh, we should be walking around understanding that eternity is in the balance for many people around us as we go through life. And God wants to, at any given time, sow water to reap in people's lives. And so what role are we to be playing? God's God's making me more and more aware of this lately. In John chapter 4, uh, there's a story of the woman at the well, and you're probably familiar with that, but God, is it, it's incredible how Jesus uses that opportunity to minister to this woman and the way he does it. You know, he sends his disciples away to get food, and he's there, tired, thirsty, hungry, no doubt, um, and at a specific time of the day where people aren't there, but knew she would be there. And had his disciples stayed, they probably would have interrupted and cut short this opportunity for this woman uh, to open up and, and uh, Christ to minister to her. And so Jesus is there, and he kind of walks her through. She's a little rude with him, you know. And, and you realize through here what Christ is doing is breaking down cultural barriers, race. He's showing his disciples that uh, we're all one. I, I have, I'm not a respecter of persons. I'm uh, All mankind are called to me. And so uh, that's one thing. But he's also breaking down other prejudices. You know, we probably all have different prejudices in here one way or the other. And one of them probably is like rude people. You know, you don't think of that. You know, somebody is rude to you. is like, I don't like them. You know, I'm not going to talk to them. You know, I'm not going to waste my time. But that's a prejudice against that person. This woman's rude and disrespectful to Jesus. He's saying, I'm not even prejudiced against them. He still kept talking to her and kept leading her through the course of her coming to know Jesus as Christ and the Savior and then ultimately leading the whole village there. And so he, he's breaking down all these different barriers here. And he leads her into showing her the gift and the giver. And, he, and through this whole exchange, showing her what the gift of everlasting life is and who the giver is that wants to give it. 
uh, climaxing in verse 26 with he is the Christ himself. And at that point, the disciples come on the scene. In verse 27, it says, at that point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one says, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? Uh, if nothing else, Christ was, it was revered as a rabbi, as, as a teacher. And the rabbinical code was that a rabbi was never to talk to a woman in public, not even his own wife he couldn't talk to in public. And so uh, Samaritans and Jews, you've probably heard, they had uh, uh, tension. They didn't like each other. And so not only was this a woman, it was a Samaritan woman. And not only was he talking to her, he was revealing the deepest things about himself, that he was the Christ, the Messiah, this tremendous truth he was exposing and revealing to her. That's why they marveled and they came on. And the woman left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. And so, uh, interesting, she went to these men. She was not highly respected in that city, no doubt. If you've read that story, she had five husbands and was currently living in adultery. And so that's probably why she was getting water in the middle of the day at a time when other people didn't. They went in the morning or the evening. And so she was out there by herself because the other women probably wanted to have nothing to do with her. And so she went, though, to the city to people that didn't like her. But she was so compelled because she had just been touched by Christ, come to know who he was, and had such a love now for everybody needs this. Even the people that don't like me and I don't like, they need Jesus, and I have to go tell them. And so she went and brought the whole city back. And you go through here, and the disciples, they have their, uh, they, they, you know, the disciples and this woman, they went to the same village, didn't they? And the disciples went there for bread, and they came back with bread. And they might have gotten really into picking good bread, you know, you know, looking at the different loaves, and this one's good, you know, I'm going to get this one for Jesus, and got really into it. But they interacted with the same people, and they came back with, with bread. You know, she went, and she came back with the whole city, and they, they interacted with Christ and came to know him personally. You know, the disciples were the ones who knew who Jesus was. They should have been there excited. You know, they came back marveling that he was talking with a woman. They should have been marveling that he was walking with him. They were sinful, weak men, you know. When we lose that perspective and start marveling at why God or why these people are at church or why is God using them, we're losing something. We have to constantly be marveling that why did God choose me? Why is he in my life? That's amazing. And that keeps us in a position of always wanting, excited about him, the reality of him. And so they're the ones that should have went to the city and been, who can I tell? Who can we bring out? The Messiah is just a mile away from this city. You mean, let me bring as many of these people out. But would they go for, I'm hungry. I want bread. And so they went there to get bread and to bring it back. Um, at this point, you know, also the, the disciples should have realized, you know, Jesus ascended us to get bread. Yeah, right. I wonder what he really wants us to do over here. You know, Jesus is always setting these things up. So, okay, we'll get bread, you know, and, and then looking for, okay, what, what opportunities is he bringing together here for it to use us. But they hadn't caught that. Now, hopefully they caught that after this point. But we need to have that attitude as well. You know, whatever we do, we need to have the attitude, okay, what opportunities is God lining up here? He still does all these things. If you look through, obviously, the life of Christ, the way he orchestrates things is incredible, just perfect in timing and in situations uh, to bring out the fullness of what he wants to do. And he still does that in our lives. How many opportunities do we miss because we're just having our mind on what needs to be done, getting the bread as opposed to what the real reason I'm there for? You know, you go get gas, you go to the store. We think of those as just routine things. You know, this, this isn't a God thing. I need to get gas. My car's on empty. I need to get gas. Yeah, but why is it empty now? Why do you got to go to this gas station at this point? Who's around you that you might be there to pray with or to share with or to talk to? You know, and what opportunity is God making available? Not that you force it, that you get all weird and like, okay, hey, get over here, buddy. You know, and you start forcing situations. But it's like, okay, what's God going to do? Let me just see and let God unfold it. And when you, you're in that position and, and realizing he goes on to talk in the same portion in John about some sow and some reap, knowing what is my part, part here. I don't necessarily have... 
Maybe I'm just here to sow some seeds. Maybe I'm just here to pray for somebody, water some seeds. Maybe I'm here uh, to reap the benefit of reaping. This person's ready at this point maybe to receive Christ. So I want to be sensitive to why does God have me here now? Uh, Also, you know, your car breaks down. What's your first thought? Oh, jeez, what a bummer. You know, this just really hinders what I was going to do today out of my time. Now they fix my car, spend money to do it. Um, what a hassle. Uh, let me just get it done as quickly as possible. Sometimes we're so focused on getting out of a situation, we miss the whole point why God put us in that situation. And so why am I at the mechanic right now? You know, who is around me? Maybe I'm supposed to witness the mechanic or somebody else in the waiting room. The doctor, I don't like going to the doctor. You know, I hate going to the doctor. Let me just get in and out as quick as possible. Man, I hope they don't give me a shot or whatever. Uh, but it's why am I here now? You know, again, just we have to get, and the Lord's really challenging me on this. Everywhere I go, more and more, having that disposition of, here I am, God. You know, and there's times where I have that, and nothing happens. But I think a, a large part of it is God just wants to check my heart at any given time. You know, are you ready? Can I use you right now? Or are you preoccupied on just dealing with your life? And so if my life is about Christ, it changes my usefulness to him. Third, the wise person understands the will of the Lord back in Ephesians. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And so the will of the Lord, the question is, what kind of priority do we put on the will of God in our life? You know, both to know it and then to do it. And we ask ourselves, how do you know the will of God for our lives? And, you know, the Bible, the word, I mean, God has given us incredible supernatural things to reveal his will. You know, the first of which is his word, right? And you could say this is for sure the the general will of God. You can break the categories of the will up into the general and specific will of God. And I'll share that as we go here. But 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible has everything we need for life, for the decisions of life, specifically and in general. Again, those two categories of the general and the specific will of God. The general will of God is really clearly in Scripture, and it applies. It's called the general will of God because it's for every believer. It's, it's for all to apply. We don't have to wonder, man, should I get drunk tonight? You know, it's in Scripture. You know, clear, don't get drunk, you know. You know, should I um, live with somebody before we get married? I don't know. What do you, is this God's will for my life? Should we move in together and see how things work? And No. You know, it's clear in Scripture, these are things I should not do. And so there are certain things that just apply to every believer. Uh, they're, they're called the general will of God. They're clearly laid out in Scripture. Then there's the specific will of God, and that's uh, specific things about our lives. And that's what people tip, typically have trouble with. You know, where should I work? What ministry should I get involved in? Who should I marry? You know, uh, all those details that, that it's not in the Bible. What kind of car should I buy? You know, I don't see that in Scripture. I see a lot of one accords in there. Maybe I should get a Honda Accord. I don't know. But uh, what kinds of things should I do specifically for my life? But, you know, we can get into discovering the will of the Lord and so forth. But the main thing is that there's a lot of people that want to know the specific will of God that don't take the time to apply themselves to know and to do the general will of God, the things that are very clear. They want to know all the little details about their life personally, but they put little, very little effort into finding what's God's will for my life in general, for every believer. Am I? That's known. That's here. That's not secretive. Or I don't have to do a lot of searching God and waiting upon him to find that out. It's just right here. You know, am I actively looking for God's will? Because that's God. This is God's mind here. This is the way God thinks. This is His character. If I truly love Him, then I should be actively involved in finding out what His mind. How does He think? What's what's His thinking on things in general? And then when I come to the specifics, uh, that's a different thing. Very simple principle. I think when we are consumed with the general will of God and finding that out, then the specific will of God becomes much easier. Because the specific will of God for our lives, usually there's many principles. Even though it might not be clear in Scripture, there's a lot of principles in Scripture that help determine the specific issues in life that I have to come up with that aren't specifically named in Scripture. Like, where do I work? Well, 
as I'm in the Word, you know, there's certain principles that I'm looking for about the kind of job I'm going to have. Or as I'm in the Word and spending time with the Lord, He's told me what my gifts and my abilities are and my place in the body of Christ. And it might help sculpt. Now, it's easy, you know, you might think, well, you're a pastor. That's easy. You work at a church and uh, it's kind of a no-brainer. But, you know, I've been a Christian a lot longer than a pastor and there's a lot of areas that God has directed me in and still does because I'm consumed with the general will of God. I'm consumed with his word. And so I know that. I'm applying myself to that. I'm making sure I'm doing the things that he's told me to do specifically in Scripture. And I'm not doing the things he's told me not to do. And I'm consumed with that. Then again, the specific details of my life become much easier to, dis- to determine. Then we also know as I cultivate intimacy with the Lord, just sitting before him, discerning the voice of the Spirit, allowing him to apply the word of my life daily through my, my devotional time with him, most of the decisions in life are all hashed out there, you know. And then I surround myself with people that love the Word, that love the Lord, that seek Him, that are wise in His counsel. And so, man, I got those people surrounding me that can, again, apply the Word and pray with me and help direct me in what I'm going to do. And so as we do those things that God has provided, He's put us in a body, He's given us the body of Christ, He's given us His Word, and He's given us His Spirit, and there's a lot He's provided for to direct us in life. And so usually it's we've severed those things off. Now we find ourselves at a crossroad. God, what am I supposed to do? You know, and I haven't cultivated practicing all the things that God has lined up for me to discover God's will. If I had been doing that, I come to a crossroads. Okay, God's going to show me. You know, I don't know now, but I know he's going to show me. There's a peace. There's a confidence that God's going to be leading and directing. And I've made, I have all the channels open that God can speak to me. And so here I am, God, let me know when you're ready. And so uh, that we would be living our lives that way. Um, the fool doesn't concern himself too much with the, with the will of God and knowing it or applying it in their lives. Again, going back to John in that same portion in chapter 4, his disciples come back and they want to eat. You know, they say, Rabbi, eat. It's interesting that um, I've heard it said that the disciples couldn't eat before their teacher ate. And so they're hungry. And so they're saying they're not out of concern necessarily for his best interest. Like, you, you look hungry. Eat, eat. This is good bread. They're like, we're hungry. Eat. We want to eat, too. And so they're waiting for him to take the first bite. And so he's just sitting there. See, now Christ, the master, the master teacher, he's got a captive audience. Okay, they're waiting for me. I'm going to use food now to illustrate a biblical principle here. So he says... But he said to them, oh, no thanks. You know, I have food to eat of, which no one knows. And so now they respond. His disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Uh, because, you know, it's messing with them now. They, they want to eat. So Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And so here he says that um, he's just using that powerful illustration right there at that moment. There, no doubt he's hungry as well. But their stomachs are probably hungry and gurgling. You know, this was their meal for the day. They hadn't eaten. Maybe you haven't eaten breakfast this morning, uh, and you're, it's on your mind already. But uh, hungry, stomach pains, you know. And this is a different thing. They were, probably hadn't eaten. They'd been walking all day. They had uh, much, they exert a lot of physical energy in the, the walking miles and miles and so forth. And so they're really hungry. And so they want to eat. And so he says, you know, See that that hunger that you have in you? I have a hunger, too, that's stronger than that hunger. And my hunger is, my drive is to discover and to do the will of God. And so what a powerful analogy when you look at that pan. I just want to satisfy this. Now, I'm sure each of you probably make sure you get at least one meal a day, don't you? And a, a typical person, probably two, three meals, maybe a few snacks in there. You make sure you get some food in your body every day. If you don't, then it's called fasting, right? And you have to set your mind at it. It's a, it's, you're, you're asserting yourself to, okay, I'm not going to eat today. I want to eat, man, but I've told God I'm not going to. It's a big deal. But typically, you make sure you eat something every day. You're denying that drive. And here God is saying, My, I, have je- I have a stronger drive to know God's will. And that's a challenge to us. Do you, are you as, as diligent to discover God's will on a daily basis for your life and to do it as you are to eat? You know, do you find yourself sitting before him three or four times a day? God, what's your will? What do you want to share with me? Speak to me, God. I need to know your will every moment. Jesus is saying, that drive to know his will is stronger than my hunger drive. And I make sure I do that more than I eat. And then when I do it, 
it's more satisfying than if you were to eat bread right now, he's saying to his disciples. And so, so I've just done, I've satisfied this strong drive in my life right now. And really it's a challenge to his disciples and really to us. Are we that consumed with God's will to discover it? And then when we do it, is it as satisfying? Now we might have times in our lives where we've done God's will. We've, we've discovered it and done it. But is it several times a day that we're enjoying that satisfaction of, of finding it and doing that? And I, I have to say as well, many times I fall short. You know, I find myself, I ate a lot more today than I sought God's will and perhaps in, uh, intentionally performed God's will, knowing I was walking in it. But the wise person does. The wise person is consumed with it. And so we are called to be wise. We're called to be these types of people. And fools, they don't care. They don't care about God's will in finding it and doing it. So this morning, do we want to be wise or fool? Finally, the person, the wise person is filled with the Spirit. He's saying here in uh, verse uh, 18, Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And so, real quickly here, um, he's saying, you know, don't be under the control of a mindless substance, alcohol, but be under the control of the Holy Spirit. And uh, it's interesting how this is worded. Uh, I'm no Greek scholar or anything, but the, the, uh, that word is, uh, uh, be filled, is very interesting, and it's very applicable in our lives. It's, it's called in the present passive imperative. Again, uh, I don't throw that out there to be, I had to read that in a book. Uh, but present passive imperative. Uh, present, when it's present imperative together, it means it's ongoing. And you've probably heard that before. We're to be ongoingly filled with the Holy Spirit. It's passive in that it's an action being done to the object there, to the person. Um, and there's different ways, you know, there, there could be a verb in the active sense. You know, the boy kicked the ball. Uh, he's, the, the object is actually performing the action. Uh, and then, or if it's in the middle voice, you know, he's performing an action on himself. But that's not how either of these are. They're not in the active or the middle. It's in the passive, which means it's something outside. Something's being done to the, the object there. Uh, not, they're not, they have nothing to do with it. So, um, you know, the boy was hit by the ball. You know, somebody threw the ball and hit the boy. You know, he didn't throw it at himself. He didn't do any of the throwing. He was hit. And so it, that's in the passive sense. And so when something is happening to that person without coming from themselves uh, or them doing it to themselves, and again, it's imperative, it's a command, it's not optional. I used to think of being filled with the Spirit as like, okay, God, fill me with your Spirit. You know, I pictured, you know, just a bucket being dumped on me, me getting more of the Holy Spirit, you know. But that doesn't seem to be what Scripture teaches you know, we know even from the same book of Ephesians that when I receive Jesus, I get the Holy Spirit. He seals me. And so I have the Holy Spirit. This is another command to be ongoingly filled. The Holy Spirit is always there. He's always ready to take control. It's just up to me at any moment to submit control and surrender to him to take control. And so I, at any moment, I could just say, okay, God, you're here. I don't have to like pray a special way or conjure up the emotions and fill me. It's nothing I do. I don't perform it on myself. I can't manufacture it. He's just always there, ready to take control. And that's really what it means to be filled, to just be under the control of. And so you're always here. Okay, God, just take control. And when I do, it looks like these following verses here. You know, we know the fruit of the Spirit, but the Spirit, is a, He's a certain way. And so when He's in control of my life, I'm going to look a certain way. I'm going to act a certain way. I'm going to behave a certain way. That's just what's going to happen. When He's not in control... My flesh is going to rear up, and I'm going to act a certain way. We have a list of both in Galatians chapter 5. If you've never read that, you can go through to Galatians chapter 5 and read what it looks like to be. But again, anybody at any given time, including myself, we can determine, am I in the spirit right now, or am I in the flesh right now? And to be in the, the spirit, you know, it affects in verse 19 the way we speak with one another. You know, we bless uh, one another. We worship the Lord together. We speak in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It affects the way I speak to God, my lifestyle of worship. You know, I sing and make melody in my heart to the Lord. It literally means to strum my heart to the Lord. You know, when I'm filled with the Spirit, I just want to worship Him. I want to magnify Him from my heart out. Whether I'm actually singing, you know, I, I, that means I don't have to be at church. I could just be in my car or wherever and just in my heart, just, oh, just, I'm exalting God. I'm lifting Him up. 
that's a, a fruit of the Spirit because the Spirit does that. He's exalting Christ. And so as He's under control, that's going to be happening in me. It gives me a, affects my attitude. I become a thankful person. You know, I'm always giving thanks for all things to the Father in verse uh, 20 there. And it, it creates my interpersonal relationships. It affects those. I become submissive, and it affects the way I interact with other people. And so at any given time, this, this is a great barometer in my field with the Spirit. You know, how, how do you speak with other people? And you could even reflect on this now. Overall, are you an edifier? Are you an encourager? Do you, do you bless people and, and magnify God in your conversations with them? Or are you harsh? kind of uh, controlling or whatever, you know, are you in the flesh with them and lacking in gentleness, lacking in kindness? What kind of, how are you communicating? Uh, how are, what's your uh, attitude of worship to the Lord? Do you find yourself just constantly exalting Him and lifting Him up in your heart just all the time in your thoughts? Or is it just, you conjure that up at church here, you kind of get caught up into that in worship, which is great, that's what it's here for, but is that the only time you really are worshiping God? Or are you just living your life exalting him do you find yourself doing that often are do you grumble do you complain a lot do you find in your your attitude do you, are you always complaining about things or are you just thankful you're always giving thanks for all things for the lord and there's you always just you and that comes from understanding who you are in god and all he's done and all the promises he's in control everything that works out for my life that these aren't just things i try and convince myself of that they're a reality i know them and so no matter what happens Man, there's so many good... God is here. God is in control. God's doing a work in my life. And there's certain things I could always just thank God for. And so, are you a thankful person or an unthankful person? Grumbling, complaining. And then, you know, to be filled with the Spirit, as I said, is to be submitted to Him. And so, uh, submitting to others is not far off. It's just a whole attitude and disposition of submission. And we won't go into what submission is. I'm, I'm sure Manny's taught on that many times. A lot of people have distorted what submission looks like, of being weak, of being dominated. That, that's not what it's about. But uh, if I'm submitted to the Lord, I'm yielded to His Spirit, then yielding to others, I don't have to demand my way. I don't have to get my way. I find myself being very open and flexible and submitted and caring for other people above myself. And so uh, what's, how are you in those, in those areas, you know? If you fail, the good news is at any given time I can change in the Lord. I, at, at any time I could be filled with the Spirit. It's, again, it's an ongoing command. It's always available. So it's not like, okay, i got to go for a week. i got to change my behavior. i got to do this, and then I'll, I'll change. It's no, right here, right now. You could say, well, just take control. Take control of my lips of how I talk to others. Take control of my heart, how I exalt you. Take control of my attitude that I'm thankful. And take control of me being rigid and having to have my way, but just being flexible and yielded and loving others instead of myself, willing to uh, go their way as much as mine. And so, again, these are just who the Spirit is. And so when I'm yielded to Him, they'll come out. And the rest of these verses here, uh, chapter uh, verse 22 through chapter 6, verse 9, they give three relationships of submission. And the husband-wife, parent-child, employee-employer, or slave-master back in these days. And so you can come here and fake being filled with the Spirit for an hour or two a week, huh? You can come here, God, praise God, and hey, I love you, man, and all these things, and wow, he's just filled with the Spirit. That guy's awesome. Uh, but then you go home and you freak out, and you're a totally different person. Uh, that could be fakeable, but God says here, okay, if, you, if you're filled with the Spirit, then here's where we're really going to know. This is rubber to the road. These are three relationships that probably take up every moment of your day outside of sleep, you know, uh, husband, wife, parent, child, employee, employer. And so how this is what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit and submitted to Him and others in your life. And so read those and say, okay, with, I think I'm pretty submitted. I think I'm pretty filled with the Spirit. Well, ask these people in your life, what do you think? You know, ask your, chi ask your child if you have children. Ask your spouse if you have spouse. And your employees or your employer or whatever the case is. The people in your life uh, that might fill these roles, ask them, you know, am I submitted? Am I filled with the Spirit? And see what they may say. And I know we're out of time here, but just real quickly I want to close with the last point of being strong. We've talked about being wise, being filled uh, but now being strong. And that's over in chapter 6, verse 10. You're probably familiar. Uh, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. And that says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes or the wiles of the enemy. A lot of times we focus on, as it goes on from there, to talk about what the armor of God is, the armor. But we can't forget we gotta, 
there's two commands there. Be strong and then put on the armor. You can't effectively wield the armor of God if you're not filled with his strength. You'd be a little weakling trying to yield this magnificent armor. You know, training camp, if, you, if you've ever been in the military, a big part of it is conditioning. They're just spending that time conditioning you and training you so that you could effectively use the equipment they're about to give to you. If you're not effectively trained, you're going to have a hard time using that. And the same thing with the armor of God. If I'm wielding it in my own strength, it's going to be very ineffective, and I'll get, uh, I won't be able to handle it. But I need to be strong first. And both the armor and, and the strength are his. They're not my strength, and that's what's important. And that's the last point I want to bring up is the be strong there is the same Greek ver- verb structure as the be filled, present passive imperative. It's not your strength. It's nothing you conjure up. It's God's strength, always available, but you make the decision if you want to be receiving it at any given time. And so the great thing this morning you could say is, God, I'm weak, but your strength is here. You know, fill me with your strength right now. And I'll be strength with his might. It's, it's a promise. It's just right there for you. Again, there's no feeling. There's no conjuring. There's no special prayer. It's just believing God. His strength is here. Give it to me, God. It's, it's the fact that his spirit is here right now as well. And you may be lacking it. You may have looked at that barometer of what it looks like to be filled. I, I fail in these areas. I need your spirit, God. Fill me right now. I don't have to pray a special prayer, feel a special way. You said it's here just fill me with it right now. Take control, and it's there for you this morning, both of those. And then the wisdom as well. If you're being a fool, don't be a fool. You know, uh, Be wise, and that's what it looks like to be wise. Again, these are, these are great standards to say, how am I doing? I might think I'm doing pretty good, Lord, but now let me look at all these things. How am I doing? I encourage you to take those verses and look at them after you leave here and, and just get, like David said in Psalm 139, search my heart, God, know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any unclean way within me. Teach me to walk in the way of everlasting. Lord, you examine me. You tell me how am I doing in these areas. And, and have a pen out and say, yeah, I'm failing here. I'm, I'm fleshing out here. I'm a fool here. I'm weak here. God, I, all these things are here. Fill me with your strength, your spirit, and your wisdom. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for our time this morning, and we thank you for your word. And Father, we do just pray that you would, um, you would just minister to us through uh, these truths today. That many here, all of us can be adjusted in this area. I know I can, and I'm sure each of us would say the same. And so, Lord, um, for those that are being foolish in certain areas, help us to be wise. Lord, those that are filled with themselves or other things this morning, being under the control of something other than your spirit, fill us. And, Lord, those that are trying to live their life in their own strength and they find themselves being very weak, Lord, give us your strength. It's all here. We just receive it. And if if we're having a hard time receiving it, give us the faith to do that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.